Hello, everyone, and welcome into this episode of the KYR podcast. I am Paul Del Rio, Communications Director at KYR, uh, and this is episode five. Uh, in this episode, um, I'm going to have a conversation with Ken Fears. Uh, he is the Senior Policy Representative for Banks, Lending, and Housing Finance for NAR. Ken is actually a great guy. He taught me quite a bit in our short time together in San Francisco uh, during the NAR annual convention late last year. We talked about GSE reform and how that could affect both the 30-year mortgage and interest rates. Uh, This is really a constant focus of NAR as they continually strive to educate federal legislators about these issues and how they affect homebuyers and, in turn, the real estate industry. So that's a great conversation. Also, later on in the podcast, our Government Affairs Director, Richard Wilson, and our CEO, Steve Stevens, actually sat down with Amy Wycliffe to talk about this legislative session here in Kentucky and what the focus uh, will be as far as uh, KYR and what we'll be looking at. Amy is a partner at McCarthy Strategic Solutions in Frankfurt, if you're not familiar with her. Uh, she's been there for the past 15 years. We work very closely with her here at KYR, and she's a great partner to have as we advocate for realtors and the Kentucky homeowner. Uh, she'll also be talking about building relationships with your local representatives uh, so that the groundwork is laid when an issue arises that you might need help with or when you need to give some tough feedback. Um, so we look forward to that as well. But first, I wanted to give you a quick update on the housing market. You know, we just closed out 2019. And if you didn't know, it was a record-smashing year here in Kentucky. For the first time ever, we actually broke through the $10 billion sales volume ceiling. Sales topped out in 2019 at $10.36 billion. Just an amazing number. Uh, That is up 11.1% over 2018 when we topped out at $9.33 billion. Uh, Just a huge sales volume number. Um, As far as uh, sales count, For the first time ever, we actually broke the 50,000 sales number in 2019. 50,891 homes were sold. That is up almost 6% over 2018 when we sold 48,060 homes. Uh, December numbers were even bigger. Uh, We were up almost 13% uh, year over year for December. In 2018, we were at 3,400 and some change. Uh, 2019, 3,868 homes sold. Average sales price and median sales price up each about 5%. So in 2019, the average sales price, $203,656. That's up 5%, as I said. The median sales price for the year, $172,335. That is up 5.6% over 2018. So prices steadily increasing. That's uh, obviously a a factor of, of demand just going up because inventory isn't there. Um, as much as we'd like to see it. Absorption rate is high. Um, you know, 20% of homes are being sold that are on the market are being sold each month uh, through 2019. Uh, but as I said, you know, the inventory hasn't changed too much. It is up a bit, about 13%. Uh, in 2018, we had 4.3 months of inventory, and this is for the year. Uh, and in 2019, uh, we were looking at 4.8 months. So not quite where we want to be at the six-month mark, but it is uh, recovering just a little bit. Uh, statewide. So just an amazing year in the books. Uh, You can find more information on that uh, in the press release section of our website. In the news section, you can see some details and some infographics if you'd like to share those with people. Um, And economists have been saying there's no recession expected in 2020. So we're, you know, we're expecting another robust year here in the Commonwealth. You know, whether we top 50,000 homes sold again remains to be seen, but this market 
uh, is looking to be very good for realtors. So best of luck to everyone uh, this coming year, 2020. So now I'd like to get to our segment featuring Ken Fears. Again, he's the senior policy representative for banks, lending, and housing finance for NAR. And he was kind enough to sit down with me in the lobby of the Marriott Hotel in San Francisco during the NAR conference late last year. Ken, thanks for joining us. Probably a pretty busy guy, so thanks for sitting with me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. How's the convention going for you so far? Very good. Been busy? It's been very busy, uh, and that's a good thing. That means we're getting a lot of work done. Uh, We've passed some policy through a committee, and we are in the next steps. We'll go through the... uh, uh, the executive committee, and then hopefully the board of directors. So. All right, good deal. Now I got to be honest. I'm, I'm not a realtor, and I'm not a banker, so I tend to glaze over a little bit when I hear <laughs> some of the phrases that come out of your kind of area expertise. So tell me, why do I care about GSE reform? That is a great question. It's probably the best that's never asked. Okay. Uh, so first and foremost, why you care is that if GSE reform is done wrong, it will raise interest rates, raise mortgage rates, mm-hmm. making it much harder for your clients to qualify, likely causing home sales to drop. At the same time, uh, the GSEs provide an important function that they make sure that there's financing in every market across okay. the country, small towns, big towns, rural, urban, uh, along the coast. Uh, without them, there likely would be a lot less access to mortgages. Again, it's going to hit your bottom line at the end of the day. Okay. And so what are GSEs and, and, and why do we need them? Okay. So the GSEs, GSE stands for Government Sponsored Enterprises. Uh, they were created after the Great Depression, uh, so originally as fully government. Uh, and in short, what they did is they helped to uh, ameliorate the the constriction and financing that occurred right after the Great Depression. Over time, they were privatized. Uh, We wanted to bring in private capital uh, and operations uh, to do that. Uh, But they still had a relationship with the federal government. Uh, Most recently, that got them in a little bit of trouble. Uh, But getting back to what their their main function is, is that they're not banks. What they do uh, is they buy loans from banks that banks have already originated, buy them, take them off their balance sheets, they bundle them into a package uh, with okay. other mortgages, then they put an insurance policy on them, and then they sell them around the world. And that's important for two reasons. One, uh, again, it takes the mortgages off banks' balance sheets, allowing them to make more loans. For instance, if they only had a million dollars, every home sale, well, every home is worth $200,000, they could only make five. Right. So they can only, and that would be for 30 years. So this way, by buying those mortgages off their portfolios, they can make more mortgages and sell them to consumers. Uh, so then the second function that's really important to these GSEs is they sell these loans around the world. Okay? And so what they're doing is they're getting taking money from around the world, not just from the United States, mm-hmm. and helping to uh, and, and bringing that to our home buyers. So more supply than we otherwise would relative to the demand in the United States, and that drives down interest rates. So it's a uniquely American system. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the world. Okay. Uh, and it helps facilitate not just low rates, but the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Without this particular system, we wouldn't have a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And in fact, there are, other, uh, there are very few countries around the world that have a 30-year fixed rate, and they're not widely available. You may only get 3 5% of the people in the country get it, not the 80% that they do in the United States. Okay, so that's fascinating. I learned a lot in that two minutes that you've been talking. So um, is the primary goal of a GSE to make money or is a primary goal 
to free up banks to continue to make loans and that kind of stuff. <laughs> that that is the conundrum, right? So they are private companies, uh, okay. and they they profit maximize just like every private company would and should. And it makes sense what they're sure. trying. At the end of the day, if they have an incentive to make money, they will sharpen their tools. They will sharpen those, their skills. They will innovate. They will manage well, so long as they have the right incentives. If in, and, the, and that means if they have something to lose and something to win as well. But they're unique because Congress chartered them. Congress created them and they gave them special powers so that they could carry this out. Now there's a quid pro quo. They get these special powers, but they have to carry out, they have some obligations. Right. And one, as we discussed earlier, is they have to provide a national market. Again, that means small towns across the country get access to credit. That means areas after a crisis, like after flooding or after hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes, they get access to credit. Traditionally, banks don't want to make loans in those areas because they're sure. expecting unemployment rates to spike and make it harder and more difficult. And that's where the GSEs come in. They can get the same rates as they would in other areas. And that makes it much easier to come back from a crisis uh, than it would if, if you just had uh, these entities pulling back. So very important kind of function in the market. Okay. And can a GSE originate a loan? Or are they... No, they, they actually can't. No, that's a good question because, again, they're not a lender. That's part right, of the, what okay. we call the primary market, the, pro, the, the first touch with the consumer. What the GSEs handle is what's called the secondary market. After that mortgage has already been made to the consumer, it's now sitting on their por the portfolio of the bank. The bank can then sell it into the secondary market where all these investors buy and sell and trade mortgages, just like hedge funds buy up billions, tens of billions of dollars of these mortgages every year. And they do it through these mortgage-backed securities because it would be very hard for them to go to individual banks and try to pick out mortgages that they like. This way, it's already done for them. It's streamlined. It's homogenized. It's made much easier. And therefore, there's much more demand by private investors. And that brings more money in for homebuyers. Wow. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that, that's actually very interesting and fascinating. <laughs> um, so housing finance reform in general has been labeled, quote, the single largest unfinished business of the financial crisis. So why has it taken so long? Why, why is that crisis kind of in our, in our not too distant past, but why are we talking about that now? Why is it taking so long for movement on that? Yeah. So Fannie and Freddie have been under government conservatorship for 11 years. And that okay. means the government is controlling them while they fix them before releasing them back to the private market. Uh, and why part of, you know, there, there are a number of reasons why it's taken so mm -hmm. long, but fundamentally what made this last recession so, I mean, so harsh was that it was centered in the financial industry, in the, in the, in the banks, which is the, just right. the heart of any economy. So if that's where the locus of the crisis is, you really have to fix it right so it doesn't happen again. So then you don't have the same problems per, uh, perpetuated. Now, Congress has tried to wrestle for th with this for about 10 years now. There have been more than 40 plans batted around mm. and, and quashed. Uh, and now this new administration has decided to take up the baton and try to fix this because Congress is at loggerheads. Uh, and, and that's part of why it's, it's just taken so long is that we just can't come to agreement between the two parties and even within the party, parties of what direction they want to take. Okay. Now, that's, that's the political side of it. The other issue is that these entities are enormous and they have tentacles right. all throughout and, and intertwined within the domestic and international financial markets. 
in the first 10 years, I, the, the two directors of their regulator, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, or FHA, identified a number of things that needed to be changed. It's taken 10 years just to do that. Right. Now the new administration's identified 48 more things they want to change. Wow. So it feels like an onion. When you start to peel back, all yeah. of a sudden you realize there are more things you need to peel back. And again, it's very likely that in the years to come, we'll find even more things that need to be uh, uh, corrected uh, and fixed as, as we learn more about how these entities function and how they're all intertwined. So that's, those are the two things really driving the, the, the delay today. Okay. So as a realtor out there doing business day to day, what should they really be concerned about? Like how does this you know, reform, this GSE reform, affect them on a daily basis? Yeah. So on, on, on a daily basis, uh, it's, it's not going to affect you. Uh, the real concern is what happens if re, uh, we do get reform, like after the reform is done, mm-hmm. will it change the status quo? And that's the, the concern there is it could drive up rates, it could reduce access to lots and lots of people, right? Uh, and uh, it could end the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And, and I, I can't understa- understate how important they are. Roughly half of all mortgages uh, that are originated or home purchases get financing indirectly through Fannie and Freddie Mac. Right. So imagine not going, go, you know, literally going to the closing table and it's a coin toss whether you're going to be able to get financing for your home buyer. And, it, and it's not about whether they, they have good enough credit. Right. It's just a matter about whether the money will be there at the table. So they're incredibly important. Wow. Okay. So once GSEs make their way out of conservatorship, hopefully sooner than later, if we can get all these, these pieces and parts fixed up, how, how does that impact the housing market then? So once they come out of conservatorship, it, it really it depends on what model they end up taking when okay. they come out. I'm only asking you to predict the future here. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Luckily, NAR gave me a crystal ball. <laughs> no, the, uh, all kidding aside, the, the, it really depends on which model comes out, but also how well that model is implemented. Different models can raise costs or reduce access for consumers. And then at the end of the day, if that happens, it means fewer home sales uh, right. and uh, higher costs. Uh, and so that's going to weigh on uh, potentially both the volume of home sales, but also the trajectory of home price growth over time. So if it's done wrong, it can really weigh on uh, the housing market going forward and, and, and realtors and their commissions. Uh, so it would have a significant impact. Okay, so the big question then is... What is NAR's role in this? What, how are you involved in discussions? How are you relating to the administration, to any government officials to, to kind of get the realtors' wants and needs known and heard? Uh, we've been very active, uh, not just this year, but for the last 11. Um, in, in fact, we regularly visit with the, the head of the regulator that oversees Fannie and Freddie. They're called the Federal Housing Finance Agency, uh, as well as the Treasury, uh, the Federal Reserve, um, um, the National Economic Council, which are the policy advisors directly to the president, as okay. well as the Council of Economic Advisors, which are the economists who advise the president directly. And, and we meet with these folks regularly uh, and share our concerns, but also our opinions about what the outcome should be. Now, okay. NAR's members have actually developed policy over the last 10 years about what should be done with Fannie and Freddie. And, and really that entails uh, in bringing in private capital to take losses uh, ahead of taxpayers, making sure that there are private incentives and that the market is competitive and, and it helps foster a private market as well, but at the same time preserving the things that we take for granted, the stability in the market, the liquidity in the market, the low cost, the, the ready access of capital for creditworthy, well-qualified, well-underwritten home buyers. Uh, and so NAR is actually 
proposed its own solution, uh, and that would be for a private market utility uh, okay. that would that would that would uh, uh, bring in private capital to take losses. Uh, thus, you would have kind of alignment. They would work to make sure that their practices are the best, mm -hmm. uh, that they innovate to meet the the needs of the market and the challenges of the market. Uh, but then they would have a very strong regulator, and the, and the, and the role of the regulator wouldn't be to set new rules, it would really be about making sure that these two entities, because that's all they are, are transparent. And they share right. everything that they're doing with the market. That's part of the problem that they uh, had before. And, and how, why we, we, we arrived at this is because uh, our policy argues for, one, a utility, but also a competitive market. And so, and so we're, in doing so, we recognize that the market isn't competitive. There's only Fannie and Freddie. Right. Uh, and unfortunately, there aren't any other entities clamoring to come in to compete. Now, ideally, we want competition. Uh, we can't get it, so the traditional solution is a utility. Mm. Uh, but we worry about too much control and direction from the government. So having a private utility allows the maximum flexibility, uh, the private market to, to really have the ability to innovate uh, and to maintain low cost and efficient uh, structures while at the same time providing the public, necessary public, uh, outcomes, so supporting the national market, keeping rates low, and providing that uh, steady flow of mortgage capital. Okay. So, Ken, it seems like that's kind of the best of both worlds. You have uh, kind of a government, uh, I mean, maybe oversight is the right word, but you have kind of private capital-backed entity, and it's kind of, you don't have a fully government-run program, but it's not fully privatized either. Yeah, that's exactly what we're aiming for. So at the end of the day, you've got this split role. One, tr these entities are trying to be private market players, okay. maximize their profits and maximize service, as they should. Uh, but they also have a public mission uh, in that they need to pro support a national market, keep the cost low, uh, provide as much service as possible for the people who deserve that credit. They're well underwritten. So what we try to do is strike that balance right in between uh, a fully government and a fully private kind of sector. And that's where the utility comes in. So it's solving for the lack of competition. It's bringing in private capital and private incentives, but at the same time, doing so to support this public mission and making sure that there's lots and lots of private money that'll take losses ahead of taxpayers so that we don't repeat the problem of 2005. Right. Well, that makes sense. Boy, I'm glad we have smart people like you at the top levels of NAR that are dealing with this kind of stuff. That's, that's great. The voice of the realtor, uh, it spills over into banking, lending, and housing finance. So thanks for working hard for NAR and for us uh, to, to kind of take those issues where they need to go. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Many thanks to Ken for his time on that segment. Uh, now I'd like to get right into a segment recorded very recently here with Amy Wycliffe. She is a partner at McCarthy Strategic Solutions, our lobbying firm here in Frankfurt. And she sat down and spoke with Steve Stevens, our CEO, and Government Affairs Director Richard Wilson about a variety of things, including how to build relationships with your local representatives. So let's get right into that. All right, Amy. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, glad to have you. Let's jump right in. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> so what's going on in Frankfurt? Uh, so we're about... Week two uh, of session. I know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of hot topics going on. 
Can you kind of go into some detail for us? Happy to. So yeah, so we are um, jumped right into our 60-day legislative session. This is what you will hear us refer to as a long session, um, also a budget session, because this is the year when legislators and the new governor are tasked with crafting and working out what that two-year biennial budget will look like. Um, so here, um, coming up, we will shortly hear from Governor Bashir as he outlines his budget priorities. Of course, then it will go over to the House and the Senate for them to ultimately decide what that document ends up looking like. So that's the main thing that legislators are going to be looking at this session. Um, I noted we do have a new governor in town, so um, he just had his State of the Commonwealth address where he's outlined some of his priorities, and we will continue to learn more and see how this new governor um, ultimately is able to work with the supermajorities um, that the Republicans hold in the House and the Senate. Good deal. So what you mentioned the budget, and of course that's that's going to take up a lot of time this session uh, for, for the legislators. When does that actually get presented to the legislators? Has it, has it already been? It has or? not been presented. Um, it will be this time next week, I believe, is when the governor will issue his budget address. And so just like the State of the Commonwealth, the governor will come before a joint session of the General Assembly and present, um, give a speech outlining his pr priorities. And at that point in time, that's when that budget will be presented. Um, and so we'll, we'll see that here in the next week and a half or so. Gotcha. Uh, but as it relates to realtors, what can, what can the real estate industry um, be on the lookout for this session. So I want to touch on a few things. We've, of course, got our QRT, which is our quick response team, and just want everybody to know that this crowd works entirely hard on um, reviewing up to somewhat 100 bills per session. Um, and these bills range from a variety of topics that we're looking out for, both for the real estate industry and ultimately the consumer to make sure that legislation doesn't pass that creates a barrier to home ownership. So we're watching for bills that touch on topics such as licensing, regulation reform, property rights, property taxes, um, rental property, and much more. Um, and so what, we're, what we want to make sure of is that there are no unintended consequences and that we're also looking out for bills that we can support and work with coalitions to support that promote economic opportunity and growth in our communities, which, which will ultimately drive jobs, which we believe will ultimately ensure that more constituents out there across the Commonwealth have the opportunity um, to purchase a home and achieve that American dream. Good deal. So you mentioned rental property, mm -hmm. uh, Senate Bill 11 by uh, Senator Schickel, mm -hmm. Northern Kentucky folks. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Schickel is one of your own. Uh, he is running a rental property uh, bill. Amy, do you want to talk to us about that bill? Sure, absolutely. So Senate Bill 11 um, by Senator Schickel, who I will also point out is also the chairman of Senate Licensing and Occupations Committee, a big friend of the Kentucky Realtors on all issues. This bill simply will allow for when a tenant intentionally damages a rental property, it will provide that landlord some recourse. Uh, prior to this bill, there really hasn't been much recourse when you have a tenant who intentionally destroys. And I want to point out the word intentionally. Yeah. Um, that's very important in this. So hopefully yeah. this will provide some recourse for landlords. Um, this bill has just passed out of the Kentucky State Senate um, and will now be up for consideration in the House. Very nice. So that also backing that bill is, uh, of course, the Apartment Association. Um, and that was, I, I, this is Richard, of course, and I sat uh, at the witness stand last week during that, that committee hearing uh, in the Senate and uh, got to enjoy uh, Jesse Brewer, Commissioner Jesse Brewer from um, uh, Boone County. Uh, present that bill to the uh, Senate LNO committee. So I was happy to do that. Uh, if Jesse, if you're looking, thank you for your hard work mm -hmm. on that bill. 
Amy, I uh, wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Um, I have first uh, a thought here that, uh, you know, our new president, Lester Sanders, uh, has a priority initiative that he's put out to the realtors across Kentucky to help drive economic and community development. And so uh, we've actually allocated some money towards that, and we really hope local projects can get started that will really help us achieve that. What do you think, if any, opportunities might be available during this session that we could get behind that would kind of also support that same initiative? Anything? Well, you know, some of the priorities um, for both the chambers are still yet to be seen. Um, but I do think that there is going to be cont a continued focus. And you hear this from both the Speaker of the House and the Senate President and members of leadership that they are going to continue to support and promote policies that promote economic growth and that drive jobs and increase jobs and better jobs with good wages in our community. Um, we'll be looking to see what the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce is also working on to see if there are opportunities there. Workforce development is a big issue in Frankfurt right now. We need to make sure that we are um, supporting our individual workforce centers and making sure that folks out there in the communities have the skills necessary to be able to fill a lot of these jobs. Um, and that um, relates in the trade industries as well and the home building industry, all across the industry that all eventually kind of touch back to the real estate industry. Yeah, and you know, the Chamber is always huge on infrastructure issues, and they're not the only organization, uh, and we too have been very supportive. We've seen NAR starting to move that way to try to get more involved in driving infrastructure. That's community development as well, and it drives economic development. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Infrastructure funding is going to be a real hot topic in Frankfurt. There is a very broad coalition of supporters um, to urging le the legislature to take a more fine-tuned look at how our infrastructure is funded today. To be quite blunt, we are the way that we're funding our infrastructure right now, it does not keep up with the needs. And we're talking about roads and bridges, but we're also talking about other modes of transportation, your public transportation, your rail, um, all of your um, modes of transportation that are a big piece of economic development. Um, so on that topic, you've got CACO, which are the Kentucky Association of Counties. You've got Kentucky League of Cities, the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, and a whole host of other constituencies in Frankfurt who are going to be really talking about that issue and the importance of that. Absolutely. I think that's awesome and very important to us uh, in the real estate industry. And I'd also not want people to forget about other types of infrastructure. And as you know, we have been very uh, supportive of driving um, internet and um, you know technology infrastructure across the state because unfortunately we still got these places across the state where it's really difficult for access to um, you know uh, wireless and um, and cable service which or um, internet service which is so essential to the business that our members do mm -hmm. so that that I hope we that get is and I, I think we've seen we've you know the, the legislature has passed a couple bills over the past several years to hopefully drive and increase more in investment in our broadband technology. Um, and I think we've seen that um, come to fruition um, and more to come. So hopefully good no more That's good great. news to come on that issue. One last question for you. I'll let Richard uh, continue. Um, you just mentioned before that you heard the governor's State of the Union address and the priorities that he lay laid out for us. Um, where do you think uh, the priorities that he laid out for us um, might align with the Kentucky Realtors, if any? And uh, is there an opportunity for us to work together on something? 
I think education is going to be a very big component um, and priority in this administration, and that goes hand in hand with workforce development. And I think that is something where we will be watching and listening more for, for more details from the Bashir administration on how we could possibly partner with them um, and make sure that we are supporting efforts um, that they put forth um, and look to partner with associations such as ours to try to drive more workforce development opportunities um, and more economic development across the state to expand job opportunities from east to west. Yeah. To jump into taxes here, I, I know the, the phrase uh, finding new ways to, to fund things in the budget. Sometimes that leads to taxes. Can you kind of, and taxes, when, when a realtor hears taxes nowadays, they should, the thing that pops in their head should be sales tax on services. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of give us an update on sales tax on services for real for the real estate industry? Absolutely. And I'll also touch on kind of the need for more revenue. That is going, as we talk about the budget and as those discussions continue, there's also going to be this continued conversation driving in Frankfurt about how we, where can we find new revenue in order to keep up with the needs of the budget and make sure that they can fund every agency where they need to fund. You know, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that our pension system is still an issue that has to be dealt with and legislators will continue to try to figure out ways to address that because it um, the funding for the pension system is a continued need and it continues to grow Um, but getting back to taxes um, and and where they might find some new revenue um, legislators are to be commended over the past several years they um, really got down in the weeds and really tried to find some ways to modernize our tax system. That is not an easy Mm -hmm. process because you have multiple constituencies telling you this is a good idea or this is not a good idea. But our General Assembly really found kind of a common sense approach of a way to not do it all at once, but to try to phase some tax reform pieces in that we've seen work in other states. I think there's more to be done, and you'll hear legislators talk about that. Um, In terms of the real estate industry, one thing that we are um, very um, involved in is making sure that legislators know that protecting the mortgage interest deduction um, is a continued priority of of ours. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems to be and continues to be a priority of theirs as well. which is very helpful. Um, Sales tax on services. You know, I I guess back in 2018 was the first round of when we saw a sales tax on a selected list of services go into effect. Um, Thankfully, um, real estate services were not included in that. And our argument on that particular piece is we want to make sure that any tax on services does not ultimately affect that consumer's ability to buy a house. It goes back to what I originally said about making sure that there are no unintended consequences with through legislation in Frankfurt that create a barrier to home ownership. Um, so thankfully, legislators have been um, more than willing and open to work with us on those, and they see those valid arguments that we bring. However, as continued revenue is needed, um, we can't let our guard down. And so I urge all of our members out there to make sure that you continue to have those conversations with legislators um, about these important topics related to taxes. Yeah, and that I think that's so important when it comes to real estate transactions because real estate transactions, it's a compounding effect, you know, when you talk about service taxes, which leads me to the point that um, we're going to be putting a release out this week, and you would not know this even yet, but um, Kentucky set another all-time record in 2019 for um, sales, and um, we have eclipsed 50,000 residential units sold for the first time in Kentucky history. Um, With that, unfortunately, also comes um, 
market price inflation, mm -hmm. and you know we see that increasing, and uh, every year uh, it gets more difficult for a lot of people to afford a home. And so housing affordability is an issue that we see across the state. And despite the fact that we continue to have this, this great success, realtors across the state are doing well, um, you know, how sustainable, you know, we struggle with inventory. So I guess I would uh, ask you, um, you know, are there things that we should do, can we do um, to make the case on trying to drive legislation that would be, you know, addressing some of these affordability issues because we need more affordable housing for our... Well, I think the key thing to that, and that's a great question because the, my answer is going to be similar for other ways of how you can be effective in Frankfurt, and that is data. The best thing that realtors and, and us as, as an association can bring to the table with members of the General Assembly is data. Um, concrete data and not data that is necessarily just from one particular area of the state um, because each market is different right yeah. your home prices in Louisville are going to differ from those in Paducah and so I think making sure that we also have local data is very important because that's ultimately what's going to be important to legislators right they're going to want to know what's happening in my neck of the woods what's happening across the street from where I live and so making sure that we are prepared with that data um, to really drive our message and to drive our request into the General Assembly because the ultimate goal is to make sure that they have as much information and, and as many facts as they can have before them so that they can make decisions um, that will um, be much better and put the real estate industry um, in, a, in a good spot and in a place for success. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> it's, it's helpful, right? And it's a good thing that we have so many realtors serving as legislators. They know what realtors are going through day to day and can relate to our issues uh, when, when someone who's, when a legislator who's not a realtor um, asks that other realtor, you know, a question about real estate industry here in Kentucky, they know the answer and can give them a, a good, Absolutely. good answer during that. Uh, but one last topic I want to I hit on <clears throat> is our SPC program. With a, with a number of new legislators comes a number of new SPCs coming into our uh, state political coordinator program. Uh, for those of you who do not know what our state political coordinator program is, it's, it's kind of our uh, grass tops program. It, it's our, our boots on the ground. It's our members uh, who are assigned to a legislator for when we have an issue come up uh, before a committee or before on, on the floor, we can activate our SPC program uh, and say, uh, hey, can you reach out to your uh, to your member on behalf of KYR and, and sh either show our support or show our opposition on this specific issue? Uh, saying that, Amy, what are some what are some uh, do's and don'ts for SPCs when they interact with a with a legislator either in Frankfurt or you know in the grocery store at home? So let me say that the if you're looking for one thing. For you, as you're listening to this at home or on your way to another listing or whatever you may be doing right now, if you're looking for one thing that you can do that is the most valuable thing that you can do for the Kentucky Realtors, it's to develop that working relationship with your legislator. And not just one of them, but both of them. And when I say both of them, I'm talking about your state representative and your state senator. Because there is nothing that substitutes a voter and a constituent from weighing in and having that working relationship with his or her um, state senator or state representative. 
I will also say I would live by kind of these these three components and it would be be respectful. And when I talk about be respectful, be respectful of their time. Um, these legislators are scheduling meetings with, with different constituents from across their districts, sometimes in 15, 20-minute increments. And so they are hearing from a variety of topics and getting a variety of requests. Um, and so make sure that we are respectful of their time. With that comes to be concise. Know and prepare for what you are going to talk about with that particular legislator. Um, remember, you are often the expert in the room. Most of the times, um, a legislator unless you're talking to one of our legislators who's a realtor or an auctioneer, um, the, the only experience they have had in the real estate industry is when they've bought their home. And so make sure that you become that resource for them. When anything pops up in Frankfurt that has to do with the real estate industry, your goal is to be that you are their first call um, because you are ultimately the expert. And always follow up and say thank you. Um, these legislators, as I mentioned earlier, are busy. They get a ton of requests. And so make sure that, we, that um, you let them know that we appreciate their work um, and keep the dialogue open. Um, I think it is very important that you maintain um, a working relationship with them, not just when they're in Frankfurt, but when they're at home as well during the interim period, when they're out of session. Um, make sure that you are um, always trying to reach out. And, and I always say, don't wait and try to develop that relationship when you have an ask. Um, but develop that relationship early. And there's different ways that you can do that. Legislators really encourage their constituents to reach out. In this day and age, in a variety of ways, you can send them an email, you can send them, you can call them on the phone. Um, many of them are active on social media, so try to interact with them on social media. But whatever you do, just stay in touch with your legislator to continue that, that relationship. Because as I said earlier, it is the number one thing that you can do for the Kentucky Realtors. Amy, that's great. That is that's fantastic right there. Um, so one one good opportunity uh, for you all to to interact with your legislators um, is our legislative meetings in February, February 11th through 13th. Our day on the hill is February 12th. Uh, it's Wednesday, February the 12th. We'll start off in the with the rally in the rotunda at 8:30 a.m. on Wednesday. If you're interested in going. Uh, or joining us in Frankfurt that day, uh, get in touch with your AE and uh, they'll get you set up for that. Also, I want to mention is our um, legislative reception on Wednesday, February 12th, starting at five o'clock at uh, Buffalo Trace Distillery there in Frankfurt. And we have invited all of the, the legislators uh, to join us that night. Um, so that's a, another good opportunity for you to interact with your uh, state representative or state senator. Uh, Amy? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for everything you do for the realtors in Frankfurt. Thank Glad you. to be part of your team. Thank you. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the KYR Podcast. Many thanks to all our guests and all the people who uh, helped me uh, put this together. Uh, it's definitely a team effort, and I appreciate it. I uh, hope you learned a little something. I know I did. This is Paul Del Rio, and I will catch you next time.